The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Have a word of prayer and we'll get into our study. Our Father, we're thankful for the evening, for the opportunity to open your word and to look more at what it means uh, for us as believers to be able to experience freedom and victory with regard to uh, what we call the sin nature. And we are thankful then for the provision of through your son, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and the fact that he has ascended and now sits at your right hand. And we sit there with him, in him. And we're thankful for this then. Amen. So um, I'm just going to very quickly go back over. Um, Peggy said you went over the th first three passages there on the top. Um, and so we're just looking at how each text relates us to Christ. In Romans 6, 2 through 4, this is with regard to the sin nature, says that we died to the sin nature or died to the sin there's never we've talked about this just because i've been out of it here for a couple weeks there is no expression in the greek sin nature we just have sin in the greek it's just the word sin with the definite article but nature is a good way of explaining what paul's talking about okay he could simply say the sin and those people had a sense of what he was talking about if you wrote that to people today they would think what sin what sin did I do? You know, that they, all they think of is an act. But Paul's talking about a nature, and we've looked at that already in our previous studies leading up to this. So it tells us that we died to that sin nature and were buried with regard to that. Colossians 2, 12 through 13 says, and I, being that they, that I did not show Peggy how to get the thing set up, it was my fault, not hers, I didn't get to sit in on the class that night. So I'm not for sure with the notes I provided what they did with this, but it says in uh, Colossians chapter two, and I believe it starts with verse 12. I kind of skipped over verse 11, but let's go to verse 11. It says, in whom also you were circumcised with a circumcision, not one made with hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, and then being jointly buried with him by baptism and also in which that in that same baptism you were jointly raised through the faith in the inworking of God having raised the one having raised him out from the dead so there's three things he says he says you were circumcised he says you were buried he says you were raised and the word circumcised interestingly enough here I'm, I'm confident that this is a counterpart the way Paul's looking at it. And it has to do, we'd have to teach Colossians for you to understand why he brings that up here. But it's a counterpart to our having died with Christ to the sin nature. Because the scripture never says that the sin nature died. It always says that we died, that we were separated. And this is, he's looking here, that we were cut off or we were separated, again here, from the, the body of flesh. So this is the picture. But then he goes on and, and says uh, that we were also then buried with him and raised with him. This other things that we have over there in Romans chapter 6. So here it's circumcision, burial, resurrection. Over there it's death, burial, and resurrection in Romans, in Romans 6. And there's more to this, but I'm just keeping this simple without trying to get in to explain why Paul brings that up in this particular context. And then Galatians chapter 2, this is a verse probably I would think most of us could quote, Colossians 2 and verse 20, and some of your Bibles it actually begins back in verse 19, because that's where the verse division is in Greek, it goes back into verse 19 at the end of the verse, it says that I am crucified with Christ, those two words are in Greek are at the end of verse 19. But a no long, but I no longer, but it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. But the, the main point here that we're trying to get at, and I know I put verse twenty because that's where they put it in the English Bible because that's the way they divide it in English. Yeah. Doesn't make any difference what verse it's in because the verses weren't inspired; they were just put there. 
It's what's written. But it says, I'm crucified with Christ. So we've got three statements. Romans 6, verses 2 through 4 say that I was put into Christ's death. I was put into his burial. And I then have the, this, this sharing then in the resurrection. I can walk in newness of life. Galatians or Colossians 2.12, I'm circumcised. I'm put into, jointly put into his burial. And I'm also put into his resurrection. And then Galatians 2.20 I am jointly crucified with Christ. And then he says, nevertheless, I live. And then he's actually going to talk about Christ living in me, not my position, but Christ being in me, which has to do with uh, how you have eternal life. So that's kind of a review of what the, the first three passages that you looked at last time. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6 now tonight. Romans chapter 6. And we're trying to answer the question, Romans 6, 11, then instructs us to do what? In other words, we take this information that we have here. Primarily, we could have just stuck with the information in Romans chapter 6, but I added the Colossians 2 and the Galatians 2 passages here. But in Romans 6, 11, it says, and you're trying to answer this question, what does it tell us to do? It says in verse 11, so that also you logically count yourselves to be... And what it says is dead ones. You count yourself to be dead ones, indeed to the sin nature. And then, as if that weren't enough, to really bring out the emphasis of it, he says living ones. And the word living is, an, is a participle. It's, a, it's like a, a verb and a noun together. It's like he's really trying to do what we're going to try to bring out again tonight that yes you have to you have to relate to your shared death with christ yes but you don't stay there because you now are not just one that what at one time were alive to god you are a living one to god in christ so he says does everybody get that in verse 11 why it's so important that he says you but you are you logically count yourself to be living ones to god in christ jesus so it's that idea here that you're a living one. That's very important uh, as Paul's trying to bring that out. But the first part of it in verse 11, you're a dead one to the sin nature. Now, let's go up here and use this, this illustration that we've been using for a long time. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about the sin nature. The sin nature is the source of the conflict. That's the part of us that is, if you understand what sin is, sin is lawlessness. So this is that nature that does not ever want to submit to anything that God wants. Flesh, then, and this is, I spent a lot of time in a Bible study with Peggy and some other friends or a conversation, whatever you want to call it. The flesh is the location of the sin nature, but it also is the source of the cravings. When we fell, the natural cravings God put in us they all got bent. Now, if they just were bent, if that's all it was, you just had some bent cravings, well, then it's like, then you just have to kind of deal with some bent cravings and learn how to kind of handle it. But the problem is, is we also then have the sin nature, and this opposes God. It refuses to, to submit to him. So when the flesh has these bent, twisted cravings that are not righteous, the sin nature is like, yeah, we're going to do that. And God says, well, I'd rather have you live like, not I'd rather have you live, I would like you to live like this. The sin nature comes along and says, no, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. So this is really the source of the conflict. This is the opposition. And it's using the sin nature then. This is why this, why this is always related so often to the flesh because the flesh has all these bent things. And the sin nature goes, yeah, we're going to do that. In fact, anytime. Anytime that you actually sin in the end, you, you act out of the sin nature. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, he tempted them. When Adam chose Eve, when Adam chose to eat the fruit, he actually bent that nature. His nature became opposed to God in that. And so when he did Satan's will, when he actually disobeyed God and did what he wanted, he actually acted independent of God. He decided for himself what would make him happy and what would make him happy. Because remember, God said, this is the tree of the knowledge of good, that will give you a sense of well-being, and evil, that which will bring disaster and calamity and make you walk around going, oh, I only have enough money for a one finger full of groceries. 
to use Josh's, Josh's earlier analogy. So that's all I have. And so you, you, this, is, this is a situation you find yourself in <coughs> like that. Now with this information then, we use this, we use this chart or this uh, illustration here. This is key for Christ, the, the first letter in the title Christ. And here, here's the believer down here. We're only gonna look at one side of this tonight. And you have this position in Christ. So, and this is initiated, this is accomplished by the Spirit baptizing us into Christ. So that in Christ, I, we can say, and there's all kinds of things, I am a dead one. And we're just going to make it real simple. We're just saying, I am dead, specifically to the sin nature. Do the, and we're just going to abbreviate to the sin nature, but living to God. And that, let's erase that and put it over here. I'm sorry, I did it with my finger peg. Uh, that's symbol, first letter for the title God, okay, in Greek. So this is what is true of me in Christ, plus a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Now, what Paul is telling him to do in this context is he says, you logically count, that word count is you logically count, you logically credit this to yourself just as God does. So really what he's saying is, God says this is true of you in Christ. Now you need to do that. You need to do this. You need to look at this union, this relationship you have. So we always use the little thought boxes, thanks to our cartoon characters. And we then set our minds and we then say, yes, this is true of me. This is true of me in Christ. This is what we're doing. God says it's true. God's saying that. Now I count that to be true of myself. Okay. There's a whole other side to that, but that's not what we're looking at right now. Well, we could, we could add another side to it on a practical level. We usually talk about Christ dwelling in us, but what actually happens is when that happens, the spirit down here actually is going to cause you to experience freedom in that moment. So with that, let's go take a look at some other passages that are going to also look at this. Uh, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to put in at, uh, let's go to verse, uh, let's go just to verse 21, pick up this context. He says, if indeed you have heard him, and been taught by him. So they had heard Christ and been taught by Christ because they'd heard apostles and Bible teachers teaching them. And Christ was using them as those who were gifted by the Spirit. It happens to this day. Even as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22. Now this is what they were taught. That you were to put off concerning the former, that is the former uh, conduct, the former way of life, the old man. Now, let's be very clear on this. This sin nature up here, this source of conflict, if you remember your mathematical symbols, what does that mean? Not equal. Not equal. This is not equal to the old man. It's not equal to the old man. Rather, the old... I guess if you make everything capital, you better make that letter capital too. Um, the old man is the place where the sin nature, it's who I was when the sin nature was, was the one that was that dominated, when the sin nature was the one that was in charge. That's the old man. It was the me that was under the dominion of the sin nature, okay? That's what the old man is, and we will... Uh, Hopefully come back and take a, uh, take a look at another passage here in just a little bit. But he says, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the one being corrupted. It's corrupted according to the lusts that are deceitful. Uh, interesting, that word deceit there is a word uh, in, in the Greek that means it deceives by giving you a false impression. It makes you think this thing, in, in this, uh, there's different false impressions that it gives you. But the false impression in your flesh is this will make you happy. This will satisfy you. This is what you really want. And most of the time when people pursue that, they find out it's not what they want. It doesn't in the end really help them. They still are like, I did that, I'm still not happy. I, I need something else. It's always another thing. 
Then he says, verse 23, but to be renewed by the spirit uh, of your mind, verse 24, and to put on the new man. Now, the new man is not the new me. It's the new us. It goes back to chapter 2, where we are all created as one new man in Christ. And we're part of that. Okay, And I think it's very important in the context of Ephesians that we understand that that new man is, uh, is the all of us. All of us. It's our all of us, the shared identity that we have in Christ. Okay, Ronnie. Is it, could you also say that the new man is the new creation, or is that mm -hmm. something different? Okay. No, yeah. So in other words, that, that new man is all of us, but the new creation is all of us with Christ as the head. That's right, and that's what the new man is, too. The, the new, new man, man is who we all are, are together, because Christ, Christ is what gives that new man its character. Okay. Yeah. In fact, in Ephesians 2.15, it says, uh, created in himself one new man. So that tells it's a new creation. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, what he's telling, what he's telling, what Paul's telling these people, because they they're exhibiting some works of the flesh. He also is going to talk about the fact that they're also exhibiting some some temptations with regard to Satan. But it's the flesh is kind of what's making them ornery towards each other and causing them to not get along. And he's telling them, you need to put off that way of life that was part of that old man who you all were when you were in Adam. Okay. I was, uh, when I was uh, with my, my family, this came up more than once. Uh, I have a sister that works with an institution in which they provide education and care for kids. And these are kids that come from troubled backgrounds. And she says, all I can tell you is, she says, you see the worst of humanity there. And it's not always just the kid. It's not the kids. It's the families that raise them and the things that families put kids through. I mean, it's just horrible. And this brought up conversations that we had about the fact that we get out there and you and I always see this very sterilized version of people that they put on when they come to, to the, come meet you at the post office or the store or the gas station. You know, it's, a, it's hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, and it's all this kind of stuff like that. But if you really saw down inside what all these people are like, you'd see that in reality, there's a... A tremendous amount of selfish selfishness and a lot of hostility and bitterness and jealousy, zeal, that envy, works of the flesh. There's a tremendous amount of this stuff going on in the minds of people. We just can't see it. But all you do is just look at yourself and go, <laughs> I struggle with some of those. And I've been saved. And yet I can still have envy. And I can still kind of be angry and, and all these different things. And so this is... That he says that's the way you are. Put off that old man. Characterizes humanity. Okay. And then you come to the next part as we already look in verse 20. Put up, put on the new man, who you are now in Christ with all these other saints. Now Paul's going to repeat this in Colossians chapter 3. So let's go to Colossians 3. In Colossians chapter 3, and we're just, again, there's a, a kind of a collection of different things that he says were problems that they were having, but he says in verse 8, uh, well, it's, uh, I think mine has, no, no, verse 9, yeah, the verse 9, do not then lie to one another. And I think, I think the lie in the context is the idea, I don't need you, you're not as good as I am, I'm way smarter of a believer, way sharper than you are. And in the context of Colossians, I can do philosophy. What can you do? Because that's a big part of it is the people that are deep thinkers and they are making a division in the body of Christ. So he goes on in verse 8, put off then, or excuse me, verse 9. I keep going back to verse 8. I can see the word put off and it makes me think of the word over there in Ephesians. But he says in verse 9, do not lie to one another, putting off the old man with his practices. His practices are to be standoffish, to be divisive. We saw the, the word for division over in the works of the flesh when we were looking at those. There's division within, among people, and it goes on worldwide. 
like this. And so put that off with his practices and having put on the new. Now he doesn't use the same form of the word new here. I think because he's, he's saying, you guys have done this before. Just look at this as a fresh time of putting on this new relationship. Not something, it's not a brand, brand new experience for you, never experienced before. It's just, it's the time for you to put it on now. You've, you've done it in the past, but now you need to put on this relationship as a new man. Now, the one that is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of the one having created him. Just like Joshua is referring over there in Ephesians chapter two, verse 15 and following, that he created this new man. And notice what he says about it, where there's not Greek or Jew. I see, I think that's kind of where some of the line and division comes in there. Circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all things, and I would say by all ways or in all means. In other words, though that all in all that he uses in there is talking about the fact that Christ is what gives character to all that are part of that new man. It's, I don't stand there with my unique character and you stand there with, you, there with your unique character. Those are the things that cause conflict down here. It's that Christ is what defines our character, our identity as part of that new man. Okay? And to me, this is really interesting. How about this? He is the definition of special blessing. There he is. There is no other special blessing. That's right. He is the definition of special blessing. Thank you. Christ is the definition of special blessing. I had several people that I talked to when I was with in Iowa saying, hey, we like the videos, but when people say things, make sure you repeat it. Or if they ask questions, make sure you repeat it because they don't always hear it. Uh, your voice carries better than some. But uh, I, to me, I just as, a, as kind of an aside on this, a lot of people, when they're having a problem with the sin nature, they want to know, all they want to know is, I don't want to do this thing anymore because it's a bad thing and I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble with God. This is kind of the way Christians think. Hopefully we'll have time to hit on the fact that there's a motive that's wrong. But here, this is then what, what they don't do when they relate to this is Paul is bringing these other details in here going, have you thought about part of putting off that conduct? is not just stopping there, but then going and realizing I'm part of this new man where I'm united with all these other believers in Christ and God sees all of us together and all of us equal together and the things that made us different are gone. And we don't like to think that way. We like to think that we're special. <laughs> and as Peggy has pointed out to me uh, with an individual that she and I have dealt with that some people like to be special by the fact I was so much more wicked than everybody else. <laughs> you know, before. And it's like they, you know, people just don't want to just look at it and say, whatever I was, it's gone. This is who I am now. Whatever I think I am right now doesn't make any difference. It's who I now am as part of the body of Christ. It's all of us sharing this together. And that is as, that is as important in having victory as looking at our death with Christ, is looking at that we're living. That's why Paul said in Romans 6.11, you logically count yourself to be a dead one with Christ. You died with Christ. When you believed in Jesus, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he was buried and rose again, when you believed that for yourself, God counts you to have died with him, with Christ. But he also counts you now to be a living. That's why you remember he uses a participle. You're one now living to God in Christ. So we had the two questions underneath there, which we've answered, but what is the old man? It's who we all were in Adam, with all the conduct and everything that went with being a person that was fallen with Adam. Who is the new man? It's who we all are together now in Christ. Okay. So with that, does anybody have questions here? I'm just kind of moving, moving. But... Okay, now let's go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, and uh, we are jumping right into the middle of a context here, and I'm going to, I this is what I did when I was reading back through my notes today. I just read through this whole section, and I'm going to do that now. We're going to go back up to verse 1, because there's so much that this statement hangs on. 
okay? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus for the law or the principle of the spirit characterized as life in Christ Jesus. That's what that law is characterized as has freed you from the law or the principle of the sin nature and the death, meaning the spiritual death. For the impossibility of the law being weak because of the flesh, God in his own, well, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning that sin in the flesh, he condemned it. He condemned it. He took care of it. In order that the righteous results of the law, and I believe that law is in verse 2, the law or the principle of how the spirit works. It's either that or it's the law or the principle of God that Paul talks about uh, back in chapter um, uh, chapter 7 and verse 25 where he says grace by God through Jesus Christ our Lord that myself with the mind I serve the law or the principle of God how God's working okay keep on going then so he says so the uh, verse 4 in order that the righteous uh, righteous results of law might be fulfilled in us the ones not walking according to flesh but according to spirit now he, we don't what does walking mean I think probably the Greeks, Greek-speaking people, they would have understood that walk was used of physically taking a walk or mentally of the way that you lived life. They would have understood it metaphorically. But we, thank goodness, we don't have to be geniuses to figure that out because Paul's going to tell you in the next verse what it means to walk. He says, for the ones that are according to the flesh. What according to the flesh? Well, he just said, according to the flesh, you're walking. So he says, the ones that are according to or walking according to flesh, he says, they frame their mind with the things of the flesh and those that are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So he tells you, how do you walk? You frame your mind with something, either something from your flesh or something from the spirit. And what does the spirit have us relate to according to verse two? Yeah, specifically our life in Christ Jesus, relate to our life. Verse six, for the frame of mind from the flesh, it's death. But the frame of mind from the spirit is life and peace. In other words, when you choose to operate by the flesh, you're moving in the sphere of death. You're not moving in the sphere of life. Verse seven, because the frame of mind from the flesh is hostility towards God. See, we're talking about this problem up here. That comes from that, is hostility, uh, lost my place. For Verse seven, because the frame of mind from the flesh is hostility against God, thank you. For the law or the principle of God, it is not subject to. I don't think that that's the Mosaic law. That's the principle of how God's working. For And neither can it be. But those that are being, or I would go again, going back to walking by the flesh, they're not able to please God. But you are not in flesh. This is from God's perspective, but in spirit, since indeed God's spirit dwells in you. Which, by the way, verse 9 indicates the spirit dwells in you. And at the same time, you also are in the Spirit, as well as being in Christ and in the Father. And he goes, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he's not his. In other words, you're not in the Holy Spirit. You're not a believer. Okay. And this one is not his. Verse 10. And if Christ dwells in you, on the one hand, the body is dead because of sin or on account of sin, but the Spirit is life on account of righteousness. Now, that's, its, that's its goal, what it's going to do. And if the spirit of the one that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then the one raising Christ from the dead will make alive your mortal bodies through his indwelling spirit. By the way, that, verse eight, verse 11, Paul is answering, he's, he's giving God's answer to his cry in 724, where he said, who will rescue me? Well, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And here he says right here, God's rescuing you. He rescued you through a work of the Spirit. He's going to actually make life in that mortal body. That's right now. You can experience life in this mortal existence. Verse 12. So then, my brothers, because of that, in other words, because God can set us free, we're not debtors to the flesh. Guess what? Unsafe people are. They don't have it. They don't have a choice. The best that they can do is join a 10-step program or something to try to deal with their addictions and things like that. 
I mean, they've got 10-step programs not only for alcohol and drugs, they got 10-step programs for rage, you know? You can take rage uh, counseling and such. They don't have a choice. That's the best they can do. You and I, we actually have another option. We have the ability to actually relate to who we are in Christ. He says, so we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. It's not our master, as he said back in chapter six. For if you live according to the flesh, you're about to die. Now, I think that that's kind of a twofold statement when he says about to die. On one hand, every time that you move in the realm of your flesh, you are running the risk that God may chasten you to the point of death. But the other thing that is also true when you live according to the flesh, you're also going to move in the realm of death. You're about, you're about to experience dying just because you're moving in the realm of spiritual death at that moment in time. So I think both of those are true, and it's because you're moving in the realm of death that God might take you home or might discipline you. But if by the Spirit, the practices of the body now you put to death, you will live. Well, wait a second, aren't I already alive? See, that tells you why the death compared to the life, that there is something you can be experiencing right now as part of your Christian life. Well, I shouldn't say... So death is not part of the Christian life, but it's part of your life, your human life down here. But verse 13 now, this There's is always our... always death and life simultaneously. If you're living spiritually, then you're counting yourself dead to the sin nature. If you're not counting yourself to dead to the sin nature, then you're alive to the sin nature. Yeah. So... It's one or the other. Yeah. 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 So verse 13... Uh, is telling you, it says, if by the Spirit, the practice of the body you put to death, you will live. How, what does he mean, by the Spirit? Well, he's already told us above in the context that we can walk, he says, we can walk by the Spirit. You're walking by the Spirit. That By the Spirit, you are relating to that life that you have in Christ Jesus. So it's, when he's, he's not adding something altogether new down here when he says that he says by the, by the spirit you put the practice of the body to death. He's just, he's just stating what he's already said previously, that the spirit is leading you in the realm of your mind, in the realm of your spirit, to relate to who God says you are in Christ. Everybody get that? That's what he's doing. He's leading you to those things, which then he says in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And it's interesting when he's talking about that leading by the Spirit, these Romans knew what Paul meant by that. That's why they're walking. How are they walking? They're following the Spirit's lead. And where does the Spirit lead them to? Here's a whole bunch of rules. Try these really hard. Keep at it. Do five reps 10 times a day. <laughs> you know, it's like a, like a, a trainer in a gym. No, that's not what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's saying, here, let me take you up to our illustration, your life up here in Christ Jesus. The Spirit's saying, up here, up here, up here. He says, and when you do that, he says, that's how you put the practices of the body to death by the Spirit. You relate to your life that you have in Christ Jesus. But as Paul said in Romans 6, 11, which is in the same book, just a little bit before this, you first count yourself to be dead to the sin nature, and then you relate to the fact that you're a living one to God in Christ. You just don't lay in the morgue in heaven. <laughs> no, you go on to the fact that you now have life, and you're relating to that life in Christ Jesus. That's the thing that, that, that ought to, the death to your sin nature ought to be essentially like in the whole thinking process, that ought to be like, and I'm just making up a number, but that ought to be like 10%. 90% of it's related to your life and all these other things that God says about you. Like, I erased, erased a bunch of stuff that Josh had written here from the other day. All these things about who we are in Christ that we relate to and think about and live out in our practice. But that's what should dominate our Christian life. It's because it doesn't that so often we just easily fall over into operating in the sin nature because our life is not predominantly caught up with our life in Christ Jesus, John. In the next verse, where you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry on the Father. So that goes back to the whole motivation of all this, is if it's, if it's law and negative rules, then you should be afraid because you're gonna get penalized. 
but that's not what we received. We received uh, the Holy Spirit who placed us into Christ and introduced us to our Heavenly Father. So it's all relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's elevation and privileges and opportunities, and it's in relationship to our Heavenly Father. That's right. That's so right. So when we don't, when we try to do it by legalism, it's kind of a rejection of the elevation that we've been given, the status we've been given, and it's a rejection of our Heavenly Father mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. It's, it's uh, and I've shared this before, but for me that was, uh, that was something that was really helpful, and that was something just in the last handful of years, I think I've explained, that that really clicked for me. I mean, I knew we weren't under law, but a lot of times when it came to dealing with my signature, it's like, oh, I better count myself dead to the signature and I haven't gotten Christ because that's a bad thing and I don't want to get on God's bad side. Well, that's law. It's a law way. And I'm not saying I went through that whole process thinking about but that was kind of like the general attitude sometimes that I struggled with. Instead of realizing, you know, even when I do sin, I'm still technically on God. God's still counting me to be sitting at, seated at his right hand. He's still treating me with grace and kindness in Christ. Now, down here, I may get a licking for it, but that's because he loves me. And boy, and so, so, so what the, so what, I'm just trying to make sure I'm stating this right. So really part of our motivation then to do this is the fact he's freed me. It's by grace, it's saying, by grace, he's freed me. I don't have to be a slave to this. That's a bigger deal than just staying out of trouble. Get your rage under control or you're going to go to the principal's office versus I don't have to be angry anymore. Being angry isn't that fun. Um, I have one other thing I was going to say there, but I forgot it. Maybe it'll pop up later, obviously. God's word's important. Maybe what I was going to say wasn't. Um, we're going to skip over Colossians 3.5. It's really going to tell you the same thing. Uh, over there, it's going to talk about uh, putting off. It's going to talk about putting to death the practices of the body, which is what he's saying here. Um, same thing. It's just another another passage that brings that out. So let's go back to the book of Romans and let's look at, uh, we're in Romans, go back to chapter 6, pardon me. Romans chapter 6 and look with me at verse 13. Pardon me, I'm going to heat up my coffee. I missed my superior dark roast from Harvest Foods uh, it, uh, out there, mom and dad's pastor, he actually has a coffee roaster in his basement and he roasts up coffee and he brings little bags of coffee coffee by. And it's good, it's good, don't get me wrong. But I just, I like mine a little darker, <laughs> just a little bit. So I'm kinda, I kinda missed the little bit slightly darker flavor. Anyway, okay, <laughs> nothing to do with the Bible study, but I, I've been enjoying that today being back here. Um, Romans chapter 6, we looked in verse 11 where he said, told him to logically count this to be true. Verse, Let's go to verse 12. I have verse 13 down here, but let's read both of these together. I'm going to go back up to verse 11. So also, or in this same way, then you logically count yourselves to be dead ones indeed to the sin, nature, but living ones to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let the sin nature reign in your mortal body, so that you should obey its lusts. And we were just talking about that. Josh was talking about that idea that you're, you're gonna be alive to one or the other and dead to the other one. And when you're alive to the sin nature, you're letting it rain, it's the boss. It tells you to ju- jump and you ask how high. And that's the way people operate. But Paul says, no, you don't have to let it rain. See, you can, ex- you can be free. It's not your master anymore, which is what he's gonna say down in verse 14. Verse 13, neither present your members as instruments or tools or weapons. It all depends on uh, the context. If you're a farmer, then this word hapla is a tool for farming. If you're a soldier, hapla is a weapon. It just depends on context. So your sin nature, what does it want to use it at? Might want to use your, your members as weapons against God. May want to use them to farm for the flesh, whatever it's going to do. But he says, 
don't present your members uh, of unrighteousness to the sin nature, but present yourselves to God as those dead, as dead ones, uh, or excuse me, living ones out from the dead. Again, he uses that same thing that he said earlier. Uh, and your members then as instruments or tools of righteousness. It's not just enough for you as a believer to say, I'm dead to the sin nature, but I'm alive to God. It's then to see, take these, these things that you were going to use for a unrighteous, sinful purpose and say, there is a righteous purpose now for this. And use this righteously. Yes? Is it the book of James that talks about how you use your tongue, um, the, the wicked, or you know, whatever it is, you can use your tongue definitely as a weapon of unrighteousness, and a lot of people do. Um, the Christians, too. Um, but, like you're saying, you could turn around and use that same that's right that's right it's a really good example in fact it was the one I was going to use not the one out of James particularly but yeah the fact that let's say you're gonna from your flesh you're gonna spew forth a bunch of hostile why you dummy why do you always do that you just always cause me nothing but trouble and you're not a good worker or you're not a good spouse or you're not a good child or whatever you know fill in the blank of however a person blows up blows their top at them instead of doing that you can actually uh, Paul says over in Ephesians you can speak words to encourage and lift them up Paul says that's what you do he says let that other stuff be put away from you don't let those things go out of your mouth so yeah that's a really good example Ronnie thank you that uh, we can present them as tools of righteousness. Instead of using your mouth to say something that's not going to be helpful, you can say something good. And then verse 14, which again we don't have on the sheet, but for sin. And he doesn't even say the sin nature. Now he's just saying sin in general. It doesn't make any difference whether it's from the sin nature or from Satan or something related to the world system. It's just not a lord over you because you're not under law but under, but under grace. That's true across the board. That's true with regard to Satan. It's true with regard to the world system. It's true with regard to your sin nature. Sin, whatever it may be, is not your master. And we, this is important down here because he uses a verbal form of the word Lord. It shall not master you. So you say, for sin shall not master you, we could say. What? statement is that in the future is that like saying is that prophetic it shall not in one day forever and I'll ever ever you know clearly in this life it can when we let it but what kind of statement is that is it is it an imperative is it a futuristic imperative is it saying don't let it is it no I think I think it's just simple I think it's just a simple future tense that if you as a believer are relating to who you are in Christ properly, guess what? Sin's not, sin's not your master anymore. Not in, that, not in that frame of mind. It's the thing that's going to be true when you logically are counting that to be it true. It would be like a contingent promise. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's the way I would understand this. So it's not a, it's a, <clears throat> it's when you're relating in that moment. Yeah. It's not something that's going to be ongoing in Nick. your life. And, and you could say, you could even go back, because what he says here, if you go back to, back to verse 13, he uses an imperative in verse 13. He says, he says, but present, present your members to God. It isn't just say, come to God and say, do some good thing with me. There's a lot of people, a lot of churches have sat and an altar call comes along and they say, are you going to yield yourself to God? Are you going to give yourself to do whatever God wants you? Which is of itself not a bad thing. But a lot of times people just do it out of their flesh. They don't do it motivated right. And when he says you present your members in this way, it's in the context that I am live. My members are, are living now out from the dead. Go ahead, Chuck. So that with the explanatory guard, it's really explaining verse 12 and 13 yeah. and how the sin nature doesn't have dominion over you. Because now instead of doing the thing it's telling you to do, you're doing the thing that God wants you to do. That's right. And that's the thing of grace. Yeah. So if you if you 
don't if you if you obey that imperative that we have back here in verse 13 technically there's two of them don't present on this hand but do present in this way as an imperative uh, then there's the benefit yeah sin sin will be your master in that context yeah and that's a it's future tense he, he uses that but it's a we would look at it as a ongoing future it's a, it's Always future, whenever you're in a moment. If I do it in the next moment, that's going to be true then too. It's going to be true in the next moment. Okay. Uh, every, you know, every time you teach in this, you look at notes and you're thinking, notes are always inadequate. This is why I think you'd have to be an exhaustive writer to write all that in notes. And I think that that's why God really uses oral teaching and not, not in my opinion, not books nearly as much as he does uh, oral instruction. Just because we can interact like that. And people can add comments and ask questions that, you know, how do you do that on paper? I, I do all kinds of writing, you know, but you just can't anticipate everything that people are going to think. I was just thinking that um, <clears throat> you were talking about over and over, you know, doing that. And um, Christians, well, I know me, but I think Christians in general we can flip-flop back and forth so much that, you know, we're, we maybe have some unrighteousness and then, you know, we, we remember something and then we are righteous or spiritual. Mm -hmm. you know, and then we could go back to the current and then spiritual. And it can happen a lot of times in a matter of just a few minutes, you know, five minutes or ten, you know, back and forth until you, you know, get a, I guess... Well, you either succumb to to <laughs> remaining carnal, or you get your mind straight and you are spiritual. Mm -hmm. you know? But it's amazing how quickly that you can flip flop back and forth. Yeah, I I've, I've been amazed at you know how many times I've caught myself like entertaining the idea of something or other, and then it's like you know, and then I start thinking, wait, relating to my position in Christ. And then I lose my concentration or whatever it is, and I'm thinking of that other thing again. And I'm like, what? And then back again. So it's back and forth. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying there makes me think, you know, when Paul writes the Corinthians, and they've got a problem because they're chasing after men. There's, they have a loyalty to, to certain men in the church. And I'm just throwing this out as a, I'm not trying to disagree with Paul, but, you know, Paul says you're carnal, aren't you? I can't speak into you as spiritual. I have to speak into you as carnal because, well, this is what you're doing. This tells you to me that you're carnal. But here's a question for you. When Paul says that, is Paul saying, you guys are just constantly carnal every minute of the day? I don't think so. I think it's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. It's just that their carnality dominates them yeah. more than being spiritual does because they are so, even if they start thinking right about the body of Christ, it doesn't take them long to all of a sudden go, but Peter's the man or Paul's the guy, you know, and they start chasing and then they're go, and those guys are so off because they like him better than him, you know, because this guy's the guy they ought to like, you know, and you, and you can see that over there. That's, that's what dominates them. And I think that's why Paul says you're carnal. You know, you guys aren't, I, I don't see you guys being spiritual very much. It's not something that, that shows it, that shows itself in you guys. So I'm not saying that they're spiritual and carnal at the same time. I'm just saying right. they're, they're, they're demonstrating more carnality more than, because right. they're doing that more, just exactly what you're saying. They're flip-flopping, probably flip-flopping back and forth, but they spend a lot more time in the carnality yeah, section. Right, right. So they could be characterized that way because that's where they're spending more time. Right. And I and the thing is, is I can look at my Christian life when I look back before I really learned like what we're going over here in terms of the Christian life. There were times I looked back and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But I look back now, like I, I have a Bible from when I was in high school and I couldn't figure out what happened at that moment in time. But I look back at what that person was teaching that I sat under there and that person was teaching these things about who we were in Christ. I just didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. But I was listening to it and I was thinking about it and I was appreciating it. I just didn't put two and two together that, oh, if I do this on a regular basis, this is what happens. I didn't have that instruction, see? See, so it's like there were times that I can look back and I can see that there was, there was I times of spiritual. A lot of people, yeah. they think that a lot of people are always going back to when they got saved because they were spiritual for a time. 
but then and they're always trying to recreate that whether it was they went to a bible camp or they had a they went to a revival or they went they were in a certain environment from maybe it was when they're in college they're trying to recreate that college experience or and they are connecting it to the doctrine that got their minds right yeah and uh and it happens, they, they sing a song, and the song gets the, their mind on the right thing. So they link it to singing rather than to the doctrine. Yeah. You know, there's lots of, and then there's a lot of, there's just no, there isn't the intelligent interaction with the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, until they realize it's the truth that's changing your attitude. Yeah. And that's why, I don't know, however many weeks back, we did that study where we looked at the Christian in the mind and how that relates to this. God's given you a new mind and you have the ability to use this. You have a choice. We are not victims of our circumstances as believers anymore. That's exactly what Paul was just getting at. You're not a debtor to the sin nature. That, oh, I can't help it, it's just my sin nature. No, you don't have that excuse anymore as a believer. It is your choice, how you, how you choose to think. So now with all of this, I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5, which we have not, I guess we have not been there tonight yet. But this is, it used to be this is kind of where I started, where I would start on this. And I think we did touch on this a little bit in one of the previous studies. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, with the information that we have from Romans uh Uh, chapter 6 and chapter 8, we come to verse 16. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, how do you walk by the Spirit? What did Paul say? What did Paul say you do to walk by the Spirit over in Romans 8? What does he say you do? Well, you do what? You relate to who you are in Christ. You frame your mind with things from the Spirit. That's how you do it. And he says, and you will not perform or bring to completion the cravings or the lusts of the flesh. What does he not say in that verse? That some people misread this. Yeah, he doesn't say you won't have desires. He says, you're just not going to fulfill them. You may still have, the sin nature still may kick up desires once in a while and say, hey, how about this? Or how about that? But when you're, if you're really walking by the Spirit, you're going to look at those things and go, that's slavery. It's like, I just, it'd be like, uh, Peg will tell you, I'm a guy in the summertime, I could take three showers a day easily because I like to be clean, <laughs> you know? And that would be like getting out of the shower and then saying, you know what I'm going to do now, Peg? I'm going to climb under that dirty house and crawl around under there in that filth, you know, all that dust and dirt. You know, you wouldn't, you'd say, why? I'm clean. I want to do something where I can remain clean. That's, that is more enjoyable than crawling around in the dirt. Well, same thing when you're relating to your life in Christ Jesus, why do you want to move down and move in the realm of death? Oh, why would you want to do that? Death in the real world, physical death, stinks. I mean, it literally does. I still remember Jim talking about working up there at that hospital and they had somebody that died in there and they didn't have, they, it was gonna be a while before they could get somebody to come pick the body up and they had to put it off in a room and within a matter of a few hours, because it was summer, even with the air conditioning, he said you went down there and it already had begun to smell. I still remember him telling that. And you're just like, and we all know that to some degree. What? I was watching this thing on a hoarder person and they, their toilet broke and they were going to the bathroom and making a mess in a bucket and then when it was full, they would fill up a kind of drain it into another bucket and then take it outside and dump it in the front yard. And it's just like, that's not living. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to edit that out, John. <laughs> that's just, that's just disgusting. But oh. honestly, that's it what, is. when we're living by the sin nature, that's, yeah. what it's, well, that's what's it going is. on. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. We, we, will, we will wretch somebody doing that. But yet we yeah. will go on with the carnal yeah. life yeah. and living in the gutter. Yeah. 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 When you think of, and I know what that's like, because I used the illustration, well, back however many weeks ago that I was here and we were going over some of the things that's in nature, we got to envy. And I used the example of myself that 
I've struggled with envy. I've struggled with envying other Christians, not just because of what they have, but like sometimes envying the audience they get at their church or something. And I've struggled with that. And you know what? It's not, it's not a good thing. You think, well, maybe that's good motivation for you. No, it's not. That's not good motivation to be motivated to say, I want as many people as they have in their audience or whatever. Notice it's an audience when you get there. It's not a group. It's not a group of believers. It's an audience now. See, it sounds like you're a professional entertainer or something. You know. So anyway, but the point Paul says here, Galatians five sixteen, he says, walk, set your frame of mind, things of the spirit. You will not perform the cravings from the flesh. Verse seventeen, for the flesh craves or lusts against the spirit. And the spirit, likewise, craves or lusts against the flesh, and they're opposed to each other so that you cannot do the things that you desire to do. This conflict, if you just let this conflict go unabated, it's just like nothing ever gets done that actually is of worth of anything. But, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit. This is a really, if you haven't done so, I'm going to show you in my Bible. I, maybe you guys don't mark yours up like this, but I can't see it. But I've got a red line from the word uh, led just going right back up to the word walk. So I could see that they're connected just to remind me. I walk because the Spirit's leading me. And he's leading me with not going, hey, Tim, take your next step here. Your step. No, it's mental steps. Set your frame of mind to this, who you are in Christ. You're a dead one. Set your frame of mind to this. You're a living one to God. Set your frame of mind to this. Being a living one, you're knit together with all these other believers. And you're dead then to those words that you were going to spew at those other believers over there because you're now alive to them. Don't you want to say something encouraging because they're part of this body of which you're a part. See how this, give me this illustration on spirit. Step, step, step. But they're mental steps that he's leading you through as you're relating to your life. All these things are related to my life in Christ Jesus. This is just as an illustration. And so he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law, which we've already talked about that. What do you need law for? The law is going to say, don't do that, or you're going to get punished. Obey that law, do it right, and you'll get a blessing. That's not what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's leading me to relate to these things to say, you've got something better in Christ than all of this. So, so walking by means of the Spirit means that we are connected with verse uh, 18 means that we're led and if we already connected those in Romans 8 2 and 4 and 5 that the spirit leads us to our life in Christ Jesus is what we have on our sheet there in answer to that he leads us to our life in Christ Jesus and all of that then means as he says if by the spirit you put together to death the deeds of the body Romans 8 13 it's described in verse 14 as being led by the Spirit. We've already, we've already, excuse me, we've already looked at that in here. So, now we already looked at this, so we're going to see if you, how good your memories are. Romans 6, 14, one of those verses you ought to have in your back pocket. Uh, I don't know why I tapped the back of my hand. <laughs> I guess you write the answers on the back of your, or on your palm of your hand, but anyway. What is, the proper, what is the proper motivation for logically counting this to be true? So logical motivation. What? Dead ones to the well, that's not actually that's the... Not, that's well, not that. That's not he, says, he says, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not, but, but under grace. See, in the end, it's God's grace that is what motivates us. That actually is a really big deal. Oh, I know what I was thinking of earlier. It comes back in here. James 1.12 tells us that if you resist temptation, there is a crown of right or there's a crown of a crown of life, excuse me, laid up for those who love the Lord. Love him. Yeah. See, so there's another motivation for resisting temptation. It's not just that I'm under grace, but I also resist temptation because I love the Lord because I'm like, you secured freedom for me. And I want to love you by living out that freedom that you suffered on a cross, died on a cross, and now are resurrected and ascended. All of that so that I could experience some freedom. Not some freedom. Experience freedom. Some freedom like, well, you get some. No, you get freedom. 
and so I can love him. So there's another motivation, and that motivation of love is consistent with grace's motivation, as opposed to law. So that brings us down to these last requests or these last statements down here. We do not blank the flesh of the sin nature down at the very bottom. You know what? We don't fight it. You don't fight the flesh of the sin nature. Rather, the spirit deals with the sin nature as we, what do we do? Peggy's counting it out there. What? Live. As we live. As we frame our minds with things related to our life in Christ Jesus. So frame or set our minds on our, in our position in Christ, really, as we live in Christ. And then let's just look at these last verses here, and then we will close. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 9. Hebrews 4 and verse 9, it says, Therefore there remains a Sabbath type of rest for the people of God. It doesn't say Sabbath. It's Sabbatismos. That means it's a product of a Sabbath. There's a rest that comes from a cessation, is what he's getting at. For the one having entered into his, now he changes the word rest, a refreshing rest, entered his refreshing rest, he has refreshed himself from his works just as God did from his works. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter into that refreshing rest. And I'm trying to use that refreshing rest because it's the word uh, katapao or katapausis. It's a noun. Different from sabbatismos. You can hear the difference. Sabbatismos, a product of a cessation. Katapausa is not a, is not a uh, rest of cessation. It's just a rest of refreshment. Um, I, I, think, I think I've shared this story with you. Um, several years ago, um, uh, Dan Argo asked if I wanted to do a hike through the enchantments up out of uh, Leavenworth. Uh, Leavenworth. And we went and did this, and Ben Orth went with us. And we had hiked the majority of this hike, and we came down, and we were getting back down into the area where it was starting to get warm again. And I, Ben said, I don't know about you guys, he says, but I need to refresh myself. And he, so he didn't say, so let's all stop, and let's take an hour nap along the trail. Nope. We all took off of our, our, our bigger hiking clothes and our backpack and we dove into uh, uh, Snow Lake, Upper Snow Lake or Lower, whatever it was. And we just were in the water, I'm gonna say two minutes, three minutes. Got out, dried off, put on, back, put on our, our hiking togs again and took off. And I'm telling you, that three minutes in that cool, cool water really refreshed you for the rest of that walk. And that to me is a good illustration of this. It's not a cessation. It was a refreshing rest. And that's what he's putting. He says, for these people, he says, I'm not talking, you guys gotta quit doing stuff in terms of obeying the law by not working on a Sabbath day. That's not what he's talking about. He says, you need a refreshing rest. That's what he's getting at here. So be diligent to enter that refreshing rest, lest any of you should fall by the same example of disobedience, kind of like those people did. Can I make another comment? Yes, please. I think it's also interesting. So Christ sat down at the Father's right hand, so in effect he's resting, right? But yet he's working from there. He's interceding on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, we're no longer working for our own benefit, Right? We're not working to be saved. We're working because we're saved. That's right. So. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not trying to be acceptable to God any longer. We're not trying to earn the right to enter God's presence. That's the big issue in Hebrews. These, these Christians are wondering, if I can't go to the temple, then how do I go and talk to God? You and I don't appreciate that because we're like, we talk to God anywhere. But those Christians, early Christians, they didn't get that. That was a whole new thing. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing you can do to be good enough to go and talk to God. You just have to have a refreshing rest in Christ and say, it's him, it's him. Which then brings us to verse 16. Let us therefore approach with boldness, with freedom of speech to come before God and say, I need to talk with you. 
and not going, but I don't know, did I wash my hands properly to be in your presence? You know, did I offer the right offering to be in your presence? No, I come with freedom of speech knowing Christ is my righteousness. He's my acceptability before him. So let us come with boldness to the throne of grace, cast our works aside in order that we may receive mercy and find grace that is well-timed for a cry of help. We have a onomatopoetic word at the end of verse 16. It's the word ba'o. We go, help! Their word would have been, bye, bye, help me. That's the way they would have said help. And everybody would have understand that. And that's what he says. But it's well-timed to the cry of help. It's well-timed. God's, there's a song that uh, um, Toby Max sings that uh, Peggy introduced me to. And it's like, it's never early. It's never late. God's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. It's his time. And that's what he says here. It's well-timed. His help is always well-timed for what he said he's going to do. Okay. Sin nature. Op opposing God. But wait a second. I died with Christ. I can count myself to be dead. I can count myself to be alive. I can rest in that life that I have in Christ. And I can enjoy my life in Christ and experience freedom with regard to that sin, uh, that sinful nature. Leslie's not with us tonight, but she would, as she always calls it, that old stinking that old sin nature. <laughs> and I tell you, it's not a bad way to de describe it because it is really frustrating um, mm -hmm. as we live with that.